Sometimes we may get it wrong. But Lord, we always know that you know. And, and, and what you say needs to be done. And what you say needs to be accomplished. That's the thing that really matters. So Lord, we thank you. And we yield ourselves to you and to your spirit tonight. Get done everything you desire to get done in this place. We honor you and give you glory and praise. Father, we're excited about it because Lord, all your works are good. All your works are wonderful. Lord, when you do it, we know it's good. We know the fruit's good. We know the end result's good. And Father, for this, we say glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, tonight. Go ahead and lift your voice and praise him with me. Hallelujah. Lord, we honor you. Thank you, Father, for everything that you are doing tonight. We are so open and so ready. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, go ahead and find somebody close by and give them some greeting tonight. Very glad to see you, Keith. God bless you, man. My brother? Yes, sir. Always good to go for seconds. All right. Glad to have all of you in the house tonight and uh, uh, appreciate the, the honor to be able to minister to you. I thank uh, Pastor Chris for the opportunity to uh, uh, minister to you once again. We started something back uh, two weeks ago on February 1st, and right now it's the 15th. And we're going to go along the same line again. And I can already tell you that on March 8th, when I'm back here on a Wednesday night, we'll be doing it again. But uh, uh, we started talking about something that I, I think is very important and very timely uh, for, for us right now. Um, and it's learning the flows of the Holy Spirit. And I use that term plural on purpose and intentionally because this idea is not that God just does things one particular way. God has a multiple way uh, or, or uh, a multiplicity of ways, I should say, uh, of manifesting himself and flowing in, in, in a service, uh, even in a gathering of a few, uh, even in your Bedroom when you're all by yourself talking to them. I got to tell you, there's just a, a, a beauty and a, uh, a multiplicity of ways that the Spirit of God can flow. And, and so what we started to do, and intentionally, it started to look at some of the variety of the ways that the Holy Spirit can flow. And th this is just so... <laughs> I mean, ain't no way you're going to go ahead and just wrap this up. But the, here's the thing. The, the idea of, of talking about this is not just to be theoretical about it and to say, yep, in Acts chapter this, you can look there and see that this happened. That's wonderful. But the whole idea of looking in the book to see how it happened is to go ahead and stir up our faith for it to happen to us. It's not about a historical lesson of what the Spirit of God has done throughout history. And you know what? Church history is a wonderful thing. People we actually study revivals and, and revivals at a certain time in church history and just throughout human history. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I got to tell you, the reason why in my heart I'm stirred up to go ahead and dig into this and look into this is not about just doing it for the sake of gaining knowledge about it. No, I'm, I'm hungry for it. I want it in my own life. I want it. Don't you want it? If he's got it and you know it's good, don't you want it? <laughs> yeah. So let's go to our main verse that we started with. We'll start here again tonight, John chapter 7. We'll do, do a little review and uh, uh, we're, we're also going to look at some things in a way that we just didn't look at the last time. You know, because there, there's always those little goodies that you, you think, oh, we missed that one. We need to talk about that too. But, but let's look at these words of Jesus. Uh, it says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38 says, uh, out, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39 says, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he was speaking of something that was to come, but had not happened yet because he was still here on the earth, still here fulfilling his earthly ministry at the time. At the time Jesus said this, he had not yet died, been buried, was raised from the dead, and had not yet ascended to the right hand of the Father. But I got to tell you, uh, he was talking about the, the day of Pentecost, that the, the Spirit would come and those believing in him would receive. And I know that in this room tonight, we've got people that believe in Jesus who can say, yes, I have received the Holy Spirit in the way Jesus is talking about here. And you may have some people that say, I haven't, but I sure want to. And you may have some people that say, I haven't, but I'd like to learn more because if it's good as, if it's as good as I think it is, and if it's as good as it sounds it is, I'm going to want to get some of that in my life. Or should we properly say, get some of him in our life? Because we're not talking about a thing. We're talking about a person, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So, uh, but, but one of the key things that Jesus said here is, is that out of our heart would flow rivers of living water. So, so that means that, that Jesus is describing the, the Spirit's ability to flow. And there's something about a flow of water that, you know, it, it can, uh, it, it can be going a certain direction. And, and it could also take a turn in another direction. It can be going in this direction, take a turn and go in another direction. And here's the thing. It's not that God's changing or changing his mind or doing things differently. What that speaks of is the variety of ways that he can flow, that he can move, because he knows that we are, uh, shall we say, multifaceted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Multifaceted uh, uh, beings. I mean, just think of the, the fact that you were created in the image of God. God as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made you a trinity, spirit, soul, and body. 
Did you ever think about that? Hey, it's true. But, 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 but the realization is that the, the Holy Spirit wants to be able to minister to us in a multiplicity of ways and in just the way that we need it. You know, you may be in one situation where, where, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you just need something from the Lord that is, shall we say, customized. And here's the thing, that says something about God's love for you. Even just in a, the context of a service, and this service here tonight, I can guarantee you, just because I know how good God is, that the Lord's going to take something that I said and customize it to you in a way that's going to fit you where it's like everybody else will say, you heard that? Really? But, but it's, it's not that you heard something different from what everybody else said. It's that the Lord took something of the word and customized it <laughs> just for you. And, and so the, the Lord will do that same thing with the flow of the spirit, re- realizing the needs of the people in, in the context of the service. He'll look, what are the needs of the congregation? And, and he knows better than anybody. You, you can say, well, I think I need this and Lord, I need this and this and this. And the Lord said, I don't know what you really, really need. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're, you're the car trying to tell the mechanic what to do, but it's, it's the mechanic that really knows what to do. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, the, the, the great thing about God is that, is that you know, if you want to know how you work and how you run, who do you consult? You consult the maker. You consult the manufacturer. He's the one who made you. And so he's the one who knows best what you need and when you need it. Aren't you glad about that? But uh, uh, there, there's something about what we're hitting in, in this, uh, in, in, in these messages, uh, an aspect of God and his desire to be able to uh, meet the needs of his people, his desire to be able to uh, just pour out of himself into people. God cares about you. And that's why these flows of the spirit and the different flows, the different way he manifests himself, the different ways that, 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 that he can, uh, go, go ahead and, uh, uh, minister to needs is so important because I gotta tell you, when you see this and when you realize this, you get hungry for it. And when we get hungry for it, we are allowing God to be in a position to do more and more of it. And I got to tell you, this, you know, there's no, I'm not beating anybody up. If I'm beating you up, I'm beating myself up too. We've not been hungry enough. We have not been hungry enough. Sometimes we think, well, why don't God do it like he did it back in 1955 and all that, you know. But, but here's the thing. Hungry people in every generation can experience God. God's not limited to one period of time or, or one generation. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes we talk about the current generation and it's like, now what a mess this generation is. How can God do anything with them? 
But if you read the book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, what did they say? They said, Lord, save us from this perverse generation. So in every generation, you, you think you got it the worst. You, you, you think that those up and coming ones are, 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 are really lost at this time. But, but, but I gotta tell you, it's been that way in every generation. But there's another thing that's been the same way in every generation. That people that are hungry after God experience God. People that seek Him with all their heart find Him. And that's what we want. Hallelujah. We want to find Him. You know, Ephesians 4.30, one of the verses we read a few weeks ago, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Um, the, that word grieve actually meaning to uh, make sorrowful or offend. We don't want to offend him. We don't want to make him sorrowful. If, if the Holy Spirit is here, and I know he is, I know this, if you're a believer in Jesus, when you walked in, he walked in with you. Because you as a believer in Jesus are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's not his intention to just hitchhike through life and get a ride through life and you be the vehicle. No, he's not just catching a ride. He's in you with a purpose. Hallelujah. So we know that the Holy Spirit's here because believers are here. But on a level beyond that, we know this, that the Holy Spirit wants to go ahead and do something that's not just a work to an individual believer, but here as a body gathered together of people that are hungry for God, hungry enough that on a night when you could have just watched Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, you decided to come to church and be here. And so God is wanting to reward hunger. God is wanting to satisfy hunger with himself. Hallelujah. So our goal is not to grieve him, which means it's possible to grieve him. It's possible that the spirit of God in our midst can want to do something and, and, and we just not, not let him do what he wants to do. And he's not pushy. He's not going to go ahead and push his way around. As a matter of fact, uh, if you realize when Jesus was baptized, uh, what represented the Holy Spirit at that moment? A dove. Not a bone in China closet. You know, a dove. Well, a dove is a bird that, that you can imagine being easily frightened or, or easily uh, shoot off or, or that, that you need to be real delicate and quiet around the dove. And I'm not saying that the, 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 the Holy Spirit is, uh, uh, is, is fickle or, uh, wears his feelings on his sleeve, but, but it does say something about his character that if people are not flowing with him and going with him and, and cooperating with him, he's not going to make you. But I got to tell you, when we do cooperate with him and when we do flow in the same direction with him, we say, oh, the river's going that way. Let's flow. Oh, the river's going this way. Let's flow. You know, Sunday morning, and it's interesting that this is just a little example. Uh, and, and it might seem insignificant, but, but uh, I, I noticed something. Uh, uh, even just in worship Sunday morning, 
uh, we, we had already pre-discussed that we were going to do a certain song a certain way. And that when we got to that certain point in the song, we were going to go ahead and do it in a certain order until we got to that point in the song. I knew in my spirit, no, we need to go for another round of that. And we did. And I got to tell you, it impacted something in the atmosphere in this room. Because that there was an example of, all right, you, you had a plan and nothing wrong with having a plan as long as your plans are uh, able to be amended. Because if, if, your, if your plans aren't able to be amended, then, uh, uh, then you're just keeping God from doing what he really wants to do. So, so you go ahead, do your best. You can go ahead and make some plans. But I got to tell you, I got to that point. And I knew we had to go in a different flow than what we discussed, and we did, and it impacted the atmosphere in worship. As a matter of fact, it was already at a good level, but it went. These things are real. And you know what? That's just one simple thing, but that's the idea of flowing with the Spirit. Uh, You you know, uh, let's look at this again. We looked at it a few weeks ago, 1 Thessalonians 5. And some of what I call the bullet points of wisdom. (laughs) These are short little verses here. Rejoice always. And keep on going. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Next verse. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. And hold fast what is good. Now, looking up that word quench to see what other shades and meanings there might be in there as far as the way the, uh, the, the original language used the word, uh, you see the word extinguish. Of course, quench, extinguish, we get that. It also uses the words suppress or stifle. Do not suppress the Holy Spirit. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Come on now. This is huge. I don't want, if he's got something to say, I want to give him the liberty to say what he wants to say. And that's why it even goes on to say, talking about prophecy, it says do not despise prophecies. Because Prophecies can, can be words of exhortation, uh, uh, edification, and comfort inspired by the Spirit of God. Something that God wants to say by His Spirit to edify and exhort and comfort people, His people. But then it goes on to say, after saying don't despise prophecy, it says what? It says, test all things and hold fast what is good. Which means that you don't just go ahead and go from one extreme to the other where you just assume that everything is God. Well, somebody said, thus saith the Lord, so that must be God. Well, I got to tell you, Pastor Mike and I have been around a long time. <laughs> I know we still look so young, but we've been around a long time. And, and uh, uh, going years back, we heard people saying, thus saith the Lord to things. And you think, ain't no way the Lord said that. That's crazy. 
If you just have an ounce of discernment, you can figure that out. But at the same time, just because some people are crazy would not mean that we would despise prophecy because the scripture already told us not to do that. So what do we do? We don't quench the spirit. We don't stifle him. As a matter of fact, what we do is we look for him and look to recognize him when he's moving and when he's talking. And one of the number one ways, always this is the case, the number one way that you could recognize him, recognize whether a voice is him, whether a word is him, whether a something going on in the surface is him, is by whether it lines up with the word and also the impact that it's having either on a person or the impact that it has on a surface. Because, you know, as far as things lining up with the word, that's always number one. Because the Holy Spirit, the person, the Holy Spirit, is the author of the book, the Bible. He spoke through men. The Bible says about itself that holy men in ancient times or holy men of old wrote and spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. So the author of the book is the one who lives inside of you. And so therefore, if you think something is him, the first place you look at is where's that book he wrote? Because anything that he would say today is not going to be in opposition to something he already said. It's going to be in alignment with what he already said. All right. Hallelujah. So that's very important. But we do not wish to in, in any way quench extinguish, suppress, or stifle the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's something inside of me, and I pray this very often, uh, especially regarding the service. Lord, I pray that we would not grieve your spirit or quench your spirit, but that we would only cooperate with your spirit and flow with your spirit. Hallelujah. Now, that that's just a... a as the last week uh, or two weeks ago, that, that was the intro with a little extra. <laughs> but, but we started talking about several of the flows. One of the flows we talked about was the, uh, the, the power of the Lord being present to heal. And we, we looked at uh, Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, uh, where it said, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Hallelujah. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. We also read another verse in Luke where it said that the whole multitude sought to touch him because power went out from him and he healed them all. So you see, once again, that aspect of the power of the Lord being present to heal. Have faith for that. Now, here's the thing. You in your everyday life can just go ahead and find something in the word about healing. Believe it because God said it. And when you believe something that God said and lay claim on something God said, you can have it. But on another level, 
is not just an individual believer claiming a promise of God, but something that is actually happening in the atmosphere, something that is actually happening in the room where when believers are gathered together, that there is a, a literal uh, healing flow in a service in the same way as was described there in Luke 5 when it says that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. By the way, something that's a little bit disappointing about that story is if you go on to read, you don't read about any of these doctors of the law or Pharisees getting healed. You read about somebody else getting healed. How sad is that? That, that the, 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 the flow was so specific that the flow of healing was there to heal those guys. And uh, if I remember right, they got too concerned on what Jesus was doing on what day of the week he was doing it. Totally missed the opportunity. (laughs) And somebody who was not even initially mentioned in there, he was not a doctor of the law or Pharisee, was a guy who ended up getting some healing that day. God said, "Woo! I got an opportunity to flow somewhere, so let's flow. But, but the thing is, is that it's interesting that, is that if you look, the, uh, it seems that the original intention was never able to be accomplished. Why? Because these guys did not cooperate with the flow. I want to cooperate with the flow. Hey, hey. all right. One thing we talked about and uh, uh, a very interesting uh, thing in scripture, uh, we, we, we talked about when, when God's so good that you just can't stand. And somebody might have thought, well, Pastor Ray was about to say, you know, God's so good that you just can't stand it. But no, that's not what I said. God's so good that you just can't stand, period. <laughs> and Second uh, uh, Chronicles 5, 14 out of the King James Bible says this, that so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Wow. Can somebody get hungry for something like that? Where God's so thick in the room that nobody can even get up to do announcements or preach or sing. That the glory of God be so thick in the room that ain't nothing left to do but just sit there and soak it in. That the glory of the Lord would fill this house. Come on. This house. In the same way he filled that house. That he would fill this house. Anybody got some faith for that with me? Come on. Hallelujah. And um, it's interesting that prior to this, and a big, big, big key, always a big key to what God wants to do. Prior to this happening, if you look back earlier in the chapter, um, specifically in verse 13, uh, it talks about the trumpeters and the singers were as one. Listen, the trumpeters and the singers 
were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. The, the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. So what preceded that moment where the priest could not stand to minister? What preceded that moment was a moment of unity. Hallelujah. Now that's not unheard of. If you have ever read Acts chapter 2, they were all with one accord (laughs) in one place and suddenly, woo, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the house where they were sitting and cloven tongues like as a fire appeared upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And how did that happen? It was an atmosphere of unity. Well, it was the same atmosphere of unity that preceded the moment where the priests could not stand to minister because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Now, Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Well, what's that like? Verse 2. It is like the precious oil upon the head. Someone say anointing oil. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. So what's happening? The oil, this precious oil is poured out. And what happens after that? It starts running. Or in our context, it starts flowing. That's what can happen in the atmosphere of unity. In the atmosphere of unity, the anointing can flow. Hallelujah. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it here. We see it where we just were over in the second Chronicles. And I got to tell you, I want some of that. Now, this is not just about, uh, you you know, what we joked around a little bit last week. This is not just about the, the preacher laying hands on you real heavy to make you fall to the floor. You know, what, what this is really about, this is really about the presence of God and you experiencing the presence of God to the point where, as uh, Kenneth E. Hagin put it, that when the natural comes into contact with the supernatural, something's got to give. And he also said a few other things that I'd like to share with you, that, that in the same way that uh, uh, God's the author of everything in the natural, but one thing that is clear is that electricity is one big manifestation of God's power in the natural. But the manifestation of God's power in the spirit is the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what. Uh, I am glad to say, I, I mean, I've been zapped a few times. Static electricity happens often, but 
but maybe only one time in my life where something having to do with a, a, a you know, a wall circuit or something gave me a zap. And I'm glad to leave it there because I don't want to have that experience, you know. I don't want to come in with, with spiked hair that, that was not done at the barbershop, you know what I mean? <laughs> but but, but I, I will tell you this, that power is real, the power of God is real. And when you come into contact with the power of God, I tell you what, something's got to give. When you come in contact with the power of God, uh, it's going to impact your life in a real amazing way. As a matter of fact, we we use the term, you know, some old timers used to use the term slain in the spirit. But but we uh, uh, a bunch of people really didn't like that because the Holy Spirit's not slaying people. So so a, a term for this that, that, that was popularized and, and, and really uh, fits is to fall under the power of God. Now, uh, one thing that I want to uh, just get into here real quick is that look at how one experience of falling under the power of God impacted someone's life. And I'll give you a hint. It was a guy who wrote about half the New Testament. Acts chapter 9. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. This is talking about Saul, who we better know as Paul. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We could keep on reading, but, but ultimately, that voice that's speaking to him is Jesus. That light knocked him down to the ground. And as Paul was retelling the story later on in the book of Acts, he also said that everybody else with him fell to the ground. Now, was the goal falling to the ground? No, the goal is what happened to him when he fell to the ground. Him falling to the ground was just, as uh, uh, Kenneth E. Hagin said, it's uh, when the supernatural and the natural uh, uh, come into contact with each other, something's got to give. And it's never going to be the supernatural that's going to give. It's going to be the natural that gives. And in this case here, the supernatural light of the Son of God showed up on the road to Damascus. And what happened? <laughs> Saul and everybody with him went whoop, right down to the ground. So like I said at the end of uh, our service two weeks ago, and I want to say it again, that God's goal is not just you getting knocked out and laying on the floor, but the goal of God is what he can do in you and what he can, uh, uh, the, the work that he can do and the work that he can uh, uh, accomplish that, that it seemed that nothing else could get it done. Nothing else could get it done, but then God got you on his operating table. And, and, and right there, laying in the presence of God, right there at a moment of just being still and not having anywhere to go, you're, you're not texting, you're not Facebooking, you're just right there in the presence of God, and he can do something that he's been longing to do. Like in this case, what was he longing to do? He was longing to have this guy who was persecuting believers and trying to 
uh, decrease the number of believers to become one who would be greatly involved in increasing the number of believers. Hallelujah. So let's say it like this. It's not about the fall, <laughs> but it's about the work that's being done during the fall. It's not about you being on the floor. It's about the work God's doing in you when you're on the floor. Hallelujah. All right. But, but the thing is, is that this is one of the ways that God flows and manifests himself. And so we, as people that believe the book, ought to expect it and ought to have faith for it. And I ought to look to see God do amazing and wonderful things. Now, we also talked about times of refreshing. We, we looked at Acts 3, verse 19. Acts 3 and verse 19, where it says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Now, we, we realize this, that the, the word refreshing there talks about a cooling, a refreshing, a recovery of breath. Someone say, catch your breath. But then it also uses another word, revival. So let's say a time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. A time of cooling in the presence of the Lord. Where you've been out in, in the the hot desert of the world and all the madness of the, of the world. And you come into the presence of God and it's like a, a drink of cold water on the hottest day you can imagine. Times of catching your breath in the presence of God. Uh, recovery of breath. That's literally a part of what the word means. But then that other word, Revival. Times of revival in the presence of the Lord. Hey, <laughs> years back, so it was somewhere around the time, and I had never seen the movie, so don't judge me. I just saw a commercial and inspired a sermon, all right? But it was uh, way back, years back, that, that they were talking about uh, this movie, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. I'm not going to look to see if you saw it or not. And, and I remember shortly after that, I had preached a message, how to get your groove back. And I want to declare to you tonight, God wants you to get your groove back. If, if he's reviving you, it means that, that you were once vived. Right? <laughs> You, you were once vibed and you might have lost your vibe, but he wants to revive you. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I got to tell you that there's uh, certain things in scripture that I found so amazing when it comes to that one little word revive. Look at this. Who would qualify to be revived? Who is God looking to revive? Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Glory to God. I will dwell in the high and holy place with him 
who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You want revival? Hey, and I do. Do you? Do we? Humility. 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 Humbling yourself before God. What does the scripture say about it? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you in due season. If you're proud, what's the Bible say? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God said that the ones he will revive are the ones who are of a humble and contrite heart. So therefore, we who want to experience revival need to come to God in just that way. You come to God with a humble heart. Mm. You know what's interesting, and I just heard some teaching on it, which was amazing, is that the two examples of what Jesus called great faith in his ministry, one being the centurion, and one being uh, the, the woman from Canaan or in another place, she was referred to as Syrophoenician. In both cases, these people with great faith, there's clear evidence of humility in the way that they conducted themselves. Think about this, the, the woman from Canaan, you know, People think Jesus, uh, that, that, you know, if that was in some of today's culture, she'd just slap Jesus for talking the way to her that, that he did. Because he used a term that, 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 that was a reference to the fact that she was outside of Israel. She was not an Israelite. She was not a covenant person. He said, uh, uh, shall I take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs? That did not phase her. As a matter of fact, her, her real heart and attitude towards Jesus is, Jesus, if you say I'm a dog, then woof, woof, here we go. Because her response to Jesus was, truth, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Hey, and you know what? Jesus got happy at that moment. Said, old woman, great is your faith. It's a done deal. Your daughter's healed. Your daughter's whole. Your daughter's delivered from, from the spirit she was dealing with. Now, think about that. Yeah, and, and we won't get into the centurion, but I can just submit that to you that in both cases, you see the element of humility. Well, I'll say one thing about the centurion. Remember what he said? Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. You just say the word, my servant will be healed. So he's not recognizing himself as some big shot. He's recognizing Jesus as the big shot. And so it's interesting that the two people that came to Jesus with humility, 
are the ones that he complimented their faith above anybody else in the four Gospels. And that would also lead me to believe that the one that comes to him in the spirit of humility is the one upon whom he can go ahead and refresh and, and revive and, and, and quicken once again. Oh, glory to God. Lost dreams. Thank you, Jesus. Dreams that have died. God's talking to somebody tonight. Listen. Lost dreams that you thought it was over and toast. God can revive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God forever. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, hallelujah. And also, spiritual conditions where you look back and you remember a time of fire that was so great and so wonderful. And now you, you, you have the sense inside, I'm so far away from that, how could I ever get it back? But you come to the Lord with a spirit of humility. And what does he do? He revives the spirit of the humble. Now let's take a few minutes to talk about this. I wasn't planning on it, but I believe it's the direction of the Lord right here. What's humility? It's humility to just be Self-degrading? No, as a matter of fact, some people self-degrade uh, themselves just to get other people to say, oh, come on, you ain't that bad. <laughs> what is real humility? The Bible says that every person among us that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And yet at the same time, you know that you should not think of yourself less than you ought to think either. If God says something about you, you should believe that thing is true. As a matter of fact, there's one little verse in Philemon, uh, where the, the one chapter that Paul wrote uh, uh, to uh, Philemon, where he said that the communication of your faith would be effective. Listen to this. By the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. So, so these things that the Bible says you are in Christ, you are not to deny those things about you. You're not to say, well, I, I could never be that. No, real humility will say this. God, if you say it's that way about me, then it is. Because if God says something about you and you're going to argue with him about it, that is not humility. Yeah. 
Let God talk to somebody tonight. That is not humility. Humility is you recognizing the word of God, agreeing with the word of God, and saying, if you say it's that way, it is that way. Humility is not more than the truth, but it's not less than the truth. Humility is just dealing with the truth. So there's people that, that would think that uh, the, the opposite ends of the spectrum are pride on one end and humility on the other. And I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that's true. I believe that the opposite ends of the spectrum are pride on one end, false humility on the other end, and the one that's right down the middle is real true humility. Now, false humility, like I said, that, that's the kind of stuff where it's self-degrading or you're thinking of yourself less than what God said about you. Well, in that case, then you're just disagreeing with God. What's humble about that? Real humility when you come before God is, Lord, it don't matter what anybody else says and it don't matter what I say. It don't matter what anybody else thinks. It don't matter what I think. It only matters what you think. Your word is truth. <laughs> as plain and simple as that. That is real humility. Recognizing him as the final authority. Leaving everything else behind. Everything about the way it feels like and seems like to you, leaving that all behind. And saying, Lord, if you say this about me, it has to be true. I don't feel like it's true. But if you say it, it has to be true. It's acknowledging God's word about everything as the final authority. That is real humility. And if you ever find yourself arguing with God, that's not humility. And of course, one of the number one ways people argue with God is when it comes to their view of themselves. And when it comes to their view of their, their own standing with God, and, uh, and Lord, I know the word says that, but look at all the ways I've messed up. As though he don't know that. Lord, help us. Humility. That's the way to come to God. When you come to God that way, he can revive you. Revive you. Not just so that you're restored to a fire with God that you once had, but that you go even beyond that. And we're not just talking about going back to a place and, oh, remember those good days. But to, to go to a level with God that is beyond any level you've ever been with him before. Psalm 85 verse 6 says this. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And it's interesting. When you come to him with a spirit of humility and then he revives you, what's the end result of that? The end result of that is joy. The end result of that is rejoicing. When you get revived again, what does God's people do? They will rejoice in him. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord. We want this. Times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Times of, ah, cooling. Having that cold cup of water. When you're dealing with the, the hot desert weather on the job and the, the hot desert weather with family situations and you come into the presence of God and you say, ah. Now, I've got some more verses in here, but we can't go to those because I've got to go one other place. So I'm, I'm not sure who's back there tonight, but if you can follow me to one place, uh, I want to go to Acts 13. Acts 13, and you can do one, two, and three. One through three. One, two, three. Acts 13. And I wanted to show you something real quick that, that when you, uh, and we'll, we'll read this in a minute, but, but one thing I want to look at is the heart of coming before the Lord and not having any agenda but to just pay attention to him. Yeah. Not having any agenda, but to just to minister to him, put your focus on him. It's amazing what God can do in a setting like that. This is a prime example. We're going to look at this. We'll dismiss shortly. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we better know as Paul. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Go back to verse 2, please. And you can keep that up there. So what were they doing here? They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now, the, the idea of ministering, uh, and, and, and one of the ways that the, the Bible uses the term, as a matter of fact, I'll put it to you like this. Peter's mother-in-law, when she got healed... It said that she arose and ministered to them. The implication is, <laughs> she said, boys, what would you like to eat? What can I get for you? You know what I'm saying? And uh, so the idea of, of you, if you think of that context and you say, what would it be like to minister to the Lord? It, it, it's not a time of you going to the Lord with your list. And there's nothing wrong with you going to the Lord with your list because the idea of us asking him for anything was his idea to begin with. So there's nothing wrong with that. So don't misquote me. But this is a time where they're not going to the, into the presence of the Lord with their list. They're going in the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, what's on your list? Isn't that beautiful? And in a setting like that, what happened? Something happened that impacted church history. The Apostle Paul, called Saul here, 
was already called to something. He was already called to something. But in this setting here of people setting aside their agenda and saying, Lord, what's your agenda? In this kind of setting, in this kind of atmosphere, it allowed the Holy Spirit to direct and say, Paul's already been called to something, but now it's going more than calling. This is separation to the call. That means it's time. This is not just show prep time anymore. It's show time now. Show prep is done. Show time is starting. And the ministry of the apostle Paul as apostle to the Gentile world happened in this kind of environment, in this kind of setting where people went to God and said, Lord, I'm not going with my list today. As a matter of fact, I'm coming here to say what's on your list. I dare you to try it. I double dog dare you to try it. Come on now. When we go into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want? What can I do for you? To to quote the words of Isaiah when he said, here am I, Lord, send me. I tell you, this is the stuff. This is the stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Prego. It's in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is the stuff. If we do this, we will see amazing things happen in this kind of atmosphere where we humbly approach him and therefore coming to him with humility He's in a position where he can revive the spirit of the humble. Where we come to him, not with our list, and like I said, nothing wrong with your list. But when we come and say, Lord, what's on your list? And we get his list and his heart and his priorities and the kind of amazing world-changing things that can happen in that setting. Because in this setting here, the apostle Paul being released into his ministry changed the world. And whether you got a phone or a Bible on your lap tonight, half of that New Testament happened because of that. Glory to God forever. Stand with me tonight. Stand with me tonight. Hallelujah. Glory to God. First of all, if you're here in the room and uh, you say, wow, this all sounds good, but I really don't know Jesus Well, I want you to know you can know him. And if you're here in the room tonight, I encourage you, please stop by and and see me after service. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you. And also, for for those of you watching my live stream, if if this has hit you tonight and you know that God's talking to you and that this is the moment, don't wait for another moment. The Bible says this is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. And so if you know God's talked to you tonight, this is it. Go ahead and join us and make a declaration of your faith in the Lord Jesus tonight. Not just words that you're throwing out in the air or something you're saying to make you feel better, 
but a heartfelt commitment to the Lord that you are taking him seriously because you know he took you seriously enough to die for you. So let's go ahead and pray this together. And those of you on live stream, if this is you, if this matches you, pray it with us tonight. In Jesus' name, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead and that he is alive forevermore. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I confess him now as my Lord. I repent. I'm making a U-turn. I'm not going the way I used to go anymore. I will follow you, Jesus, and only you all the days of my life. Thank you for your help to go with you all the way. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, hey, let me remind you about a few things, and then we're going to leave with a, a confession of our faith, a confession of our hunger for God and for everything he's got for us. Just keep in mind what's going on. If you've not signed up,